Welcome, so glad to see you this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. And if this is your first time here with us, we're so excited that you came to worship with us this morning. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. Just awesome, awesome time of worship together. We are uh, getting ready to start a new series, um, God Meets Us in the Mess. And uh, we're in going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. While you're turning there, I just wanted to um, invite up a couple new staff members um, to our church. Jordan and Stacy, if you would come on up. They're super excited to be up standing in front of the entire congregation. Not, not really. Who doesn't like getting up in front of people, right? This, the, this is the, the fun, fun part. But we have, we've added two new staff members uh, so far. We're going to be adding another one hopefully soon as well. But Stacy's come on. She's helping out in our financial area, doing some accounting for us and different things. Um, her husband, Scott's right over here sitting in the third row. Wave, Scott. They're awesome. Awesome couple. But um, they serve, Scott serves on the setup team here at the church. And, and they've just been an amazing couple that God's brought to our church. How long have you guys been coming now, Stacy? About a year and a half? Okay, cool. So they've been, they've been here about a year and a half. And um, why don't we give Stacy and Scott a warm welcome to specifically Stacy on staff. Yeah, and um, Jordan over here, this is Jordan Slocum, and her husband Matt is sitting right back there in the Browns jacket there. Yeah, go Browns. Yeah, I mean, you get a cl- you, you get a clap right away. Jordan's come on. She's going to be helping out. She's admin in the offices on the weekend. She's helping out with all the tech areas and different things. Um, she comes to us from New Point Church and served there on staff as well for a long time. But I'm so glad to have her come and help out in these areas. She's gifted in, in so many different things. So um, she's going to be helping out Pastor Joe, doing some admin work for him. And she helps Jesse doing admin for him as well and then helps in the tech areas here all Sunday morning. So why don't we welcome Jordan to the staff as well too. All right, you guys can go sit down. Thank you so much for coming up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, always a little intimidating to come and stand in front of people, right? I was, I was the kid in high school that uh, almost failed my speech class because I would uh, literally get up in front of the class to do my speech and freeze. Have you ever seen anybody do that? They get up in front and they just go to talk and it's like, and nothing comes out. That was me in speech class and I'm a, a pastor and I preach every Sunday. Go figure, right? God does amazing things. So anyways, um, God meets us in the mess. Uh, Chapter 5, I just want to give a little bit of a warning before we jump into the sermon today. I feel like we should have issued some football pads um, before you came in um, because Paul here as he's addressing the church in Corinth doesn't pull any punches. I mean, he is... He's addressing sin in the church directly. Uh, He uses really strong language, and appropriately so, as uh, he deals with sexual immorality in the church. So um, just a a forewarning, we're going to jump into this, and we're going to trust that God just uses it to um, change our hearts. So a couple of resources I want to give you as I've been working through studying through 1 Corinthians and some things that I have found to be helpful. Um, There's a book out by Jerry Bridges, um, and I I think it's called Respectable Sins. Is that it, Joe? Yeah, uh, Respectable Sins. Um, Great book. I've read it a couple times. Um, And another book he wrote called The Pursuit of Holiness. Just great resources. He has some 
some First Corinthians references through those books, and just they're just excellent reads, uh, anyways. Those are two books that are on my once a year reading list. Um, so I just would refer you to those uh, as you have some study time as well or free reading time. But um, you know, life is hard. We all face challenges difficulty, temptation, ridicule, and suffering. We come face to face with the moral decline in our society every day. There are TED Talks that promote pedophilia, Netflix shows promoting it as well. We have adults acting out as children, dressing in diapers, just weird things going on, men acting like women, women acting like men. All of these things are not just tolerated by our society and sciences, but they are actually endorsed and encouraged. It's amazing. We live in interesting times, to say the least. But there's nothing new under the sun. Sin and all of its acting out has been around since the fall in the garden. We see the continual drop and depravity in the human heart. Sexual immorality isn't new. Over the centuries, the lengths the human heart will go to try and supplement or replace the ultimate joy and satisfaction that can only be found in Christ, the human heart will go to no end to try and find that. I believe the dangers with this is not just the presence of sin and temptation themselves, but the view that many Christians hold of those sins and temptations. Too oftentimes I see Christians asking the wrong questions when it comes to sin, depravity, and immorality. It's kind of like this idea of how far can I go with this and still not be sinning? How close can I come to the water's edge and not get wet? Sitting at the side of the waters, dangling our feet in, not realizing there's sharks inches away. That is a wrong and I would even say deadly approach. We should be asking, how can I avoid or deal with this sin in the most radical and holistic way possible? You know, it's, it's wild to watch temptation, sin, sexual immorality creep into someone's life. I mean, we have so many examples in our culture today, not just of pop stars or you know, CEOs of companies, but even in the church today, if we look at leaders in the church over the last 10 years, they come out, a, 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 a pastor somewhere will come out with, with some statement that sounds questionable and you're wondering, have they veered from orthodoxy, the foundational beliefs of Christianity somewhat? Or maybe their teaching ends up with more questions than it does truths or answers to the questions that that society's looking for. It makes us question and wonder. And maybe five, six years later, they write a book. And the book is not questionable at all. It's just wrong. It's just heretical and goes against every biblical truth. The next thing you know, they're divorcing their wife. They're coming out into a different lifestyle or whatever it may be. We see it over and over and over again in, in Christian rock stars or Christian pastors. 
What we're going to find out and what we should know and what we should be aware of is that what Paul's addressing in Corinth, we have to be aware of for ourselves today. This isn't a chapter in 1 Corinthians that is secluded, isolated, and just for the church in Corinth. It is. It is for them. But we need to know this is for me and you today, right now. For the first four chapters, one of the themes that we've seen going through 1 Corinthians is this, humility. That pride causes disunity and pride blinds us to our own blindness. And and the question we have to ask ourselves is not, do I have pride? The question we have to ask ourselves as Christians is, where is pride active in my life right now? Because I am blind to see it. I am blind to my own blindness. It takes the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to reveal these things in my heart and in my life. It would be easy for us to jump into this chapter and just say to ourselves, wow, man, the church in, in Corinth was just messed up. And that's a true statement. But what can we learn? What safeguards can we put in our lives that Paul's pointing out? How can we as a church grow in unity, grow in holiness, and grow in our relationship with Christ? That's what I really want us to focus on as we go through this. Let's pray before we read God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these examples that we have in the scriptures. But but more, Father, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And right now, we humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge our need for more of you. We acknowledge our weakness and our failures and our sin. We confess those right now, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would do the work that only you can do. Remove the blinders from our eyes. As we read your word, remove the blinders from our eyes that we would see what we need to see. Reveal any wicked way in our hearts or even a leaning towards a wicked way in our hearts and minds. Lord, deal with us as sons and daughters, as those you love, as those who have an inheritance in you. Deal with us as your church, as your bride. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 starts like this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that... His spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. There it is again. He's pointing out pride. He's pointing out arrogance, boasting. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven 
that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. You may want to underline that. You really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. God's word for us today. Now, the first thing I want to point out here, and I really want us to grab hold of, is the first statement that Paul makes, and it's the first fill-in in your notes today, is this. Don't tolerate sexual immorality in the church. He says it clearly, he says it plainly, he says it strongly. Don't tolerate sexual immorality in the church. Here's what we need to get. We cannot view or deal with sin lightly or softly. We cannot view sin lightly or deal with it softly. The scriptures give us three arenas to deal with sin, personal, congregational, and in the world. Our text today deals with that congregational and in the world. But I want us to take a moment and talk about personal sin. Because if we deal with it there, it's not going to have to be dealt with in the congregation. If we go to the Lord and pray that prayer that David prayed, if we, that he would reveal any wicked way in us, that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and deal with these things in us, then it wouldn't have be, would not have to be dealt with in the congregation. Matthew 5, I want to draw your attention to Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. Jesus gives us really clear direction. He kind of gives us an idea of God's view of sin and, and how we are to deal with it in a couple short statements. And Matthew 5, 29 says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus isn't endorsing self-mutilation here. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is trying to give us is God's radical view and radical dealing with of sin in our lives. He's saying, cut it off and throw it away. Don't mess with it. Don't, don't even give it a second of your day. Cut it off. Be done with it. This is a biblical principle we call radical amputation. As we live through life and temptation comes and we make mistakes, we click on the wrong link on Facebook or we go to the wrong website or we're on our phones for too long or we talk to the wrong person in a wrong way or do those things, we deal with it right now quickly. We cut it off. We don't let it go any further. When our mind starts to wonder, 
and we start thinking of someone other than our spouse, or if our mind starts to wonder about pictures that we've seen in the past, or our, our hearts start to go somewhere else, we deal with it right then, immediately. We talk to someone. We invite accountability. We invite the light of Christ to come into our mess. Cut it off, tear it out, throw it away. Take the steps necessary, no matter what they are, to get the sin out of your life. Sever relationships, get rid of the internet or certain apps on your phone, or get rid of your smartphone altogether. Take the door off your bedroom. You don't have to lose an eye, but you, you may need to lose your laptop. You don't have to lose your hand, but you may need to lose that boyfriend or girlfriend. Why? Why would we go to such extremes? Why? Because Jesus tells us to. And our eternity depends on it. Our life depends on it. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Not like a rough life. Not like suffering. Not like it's going to be tough. It's death. Life and death. This is the weight of life and death. Entertaining sin hardens our hearts to it. What was once deplorable becomes tolerable, then becomes acceptable, and then becomes doable. This is the slippery slope. We have countless examples we could go to and look at. The problem is we think that we know best. We look at these things or we see these things and we say, uh, it's, it's not too bad. I, I, can, I can take a little bit of it in. It's, you know, I can get past that, that you know, 30-second nudity scene in the show. I can get past you know, the F-bomb being dropped every five seconds. You know, it's just language. I can get past this, 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 you know, this, or this. Don't tolerate it. Don't mess with it. Don't give it a second. You may be here right now or listening online, and you are in the depths of immoral sexual immorality or some other habitual sin. Don't tolerate it. Tear it out, cut it off, and throw it away. Bring it into the light and that the light of the Lord burn it out of your life. I want you to hear this and know this. God has freedom for you. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could be addicted habitually in sin. Jesus died on the cross so that we would be set free from sin. And that's what Paul's getting at. That's what he's pointing the church to. It's what he's pointing us to. That's what God is saying through the word today. In Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There is hope in Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus. And there's strength to overcome in Jesus. 
Will you trust him? Will you obey him? Let's move to verses four and five. It says this, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, second thing Paul's really getting out and just clearly states here is church discipline. So this text is dealing with church discipline. Second filling in your notes is this, church discipline is for the purpose of Redemption and protection, not condemnation. The church has gotten this wrong far too often. The clear purpose of church discipline is redemption and restoration, not condemnation or spite or out of anger. It is for redemption. This is an amazing thing. As we look at the scriptures and we look at at God calling to people who are lost, we see a God who loves, who a God that says he is love and he looks out and he sees humanity in their brokenness, in their sin. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Everything that God does has redemptive purposes. Everything. So this idea of of handing someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, why? So that? So that he will be saved. It's not condemnation. It's restoration. Now, this is a heavy thing. This is a serious thing. I said in the beginning that Paul uses this dramatic and strong language, and appropriately so. Handing someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But this destruction of the flesh is what happens as sexual sin takes hold of us. Sometimes people have to hit rock bottom before they acknowledge the light. And God is loving enough to give us what we want in order to reveal to us what we truly need. Did you hear me on that? God is loving enough to give us what we want in order to reveal to us what we truly need. And Paul's talking about the sin of sexual immorality, and the Bible makes a clear distinction. Stick with me here. The Bible makes a clear distinction that sexual sin is different from any other sin, in that it is a sin against one's own body. Now, I think it's worth looking at. If you have your Bibles, open up to the next chapters. Turn the page. It might be even on the same page. To chapter 6, verse 18. We're going to study this in, in just a little bit next week, but I think we need to look at it right now. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There is more going on spiritually when we sin in this way. And we see it in Genesis 2 verse 24 where the Bible talks about when Adam and Eve come together, they, they become one flesh There is a spiritual connectedness in this intimacy that is meant to be only for a husband and wife. 
There is a spiritual side of this that we don't see that the Bible alludes to over and over again. We have to be aware of this. So there is a beautiful and protected thing in marriage the way God intended it. And a sinful tearing down or destruction of the flesh when done outside of a marriage the way God intended it to be. We have to be aware of that. We're going to talk more about that next week. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with sin? When we see it, when we're, we're aware of it, what do we do? Well, we do the Matthew 18 principle. When you see a brother or sister making bad choices or you see something, just go to them one-on-one in private. Just go to them lovingly and kindly. And one of the things we really need to think about is before we take the log, or the uh, speck out of our brother's eye, we need to take the log out of our own eye. So there's this, before even the Matthew 18 principle, is this idea of great humility. That, that I am a sinner. And there's a ton of sin in my life that God needs to deal with. And I'm going to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness before I ever talk to a brother about the sin in his life. What that does for me is that I go to him and I'm thinking my sin is really big and his sin is really small. That's a, that's a whole paradigm shift, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times we see somebody who's struggling with pornography or struggling in an adulterous relationship or struggling with some other type of habitual sin and we think, oh my gosh, they're a terrible sinner. Well, the Bible says, no, no, no. We have to view this, their sin as small, my sin as big. Then when we approach them and we walk out this Matthew 18 principle of taking them aside in private and, and, and beckoning them to the truth and to repentance, we do it in a humble way. But let's say they don't listen, they don't hear. What do we do next? Well, the Bible clearly says we, we go to someone who they trust and respect. And we say to them, hey, I'm, I'm telling you this in confidence. I'm telling you this because it's scriptural. I'm not gossiping, but so-and-so is going through this. I know that they love you, they respect you, that you're going to give them biblical counsel. Will you go with me? And, and I've already done it one-on-one. They just don't see it. They, would you go with me and, and, and share this truth with them and, and, and plead with them to, to come to the truth and, and repent of this and take them and, and go to the two-on-one and, and, and try and share the truth with them? That right there, 99.9% .9 of the time, I have seen people turn their lives around. But sometimes there's more that needs to happen. Let's say they don't listen. Well, the Bible makes it clear. Go to some elders in the church. Grab them and say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. Me and so-and-so have went to them. We're really praying and, and, and trying to, to get them to see what's going on. They just, they don't acknowledge it and won't see it. Will you come to them? And the elders come to them and confront them with scriptural truth and show them, you know, Here's what's going to happen if you can continue down this way. We may have to take steps to say, you know what, if this doesn't change, if you don't acknowledge this as sin, we're going to have to ask you to stop coming to community group. We're going to have to ask you, ask you to stop coming on Sunday mornings. 
Because what's going on, the scriptures say, we're not to tolerate that. That's how serious the sin in your life is right now. And man, we love you. And God wants what's best for you. And, and right now, you think you know what's best for you. And it's opposite of what God's word says. Man, we love you. Turn from this. We don't want to do this. But God says it's the best thing to do for you if you don't see this and turn from it. All for restoration. All for redemption. We're not pointing fingers. We're not condemning. We're beckoning people back to the truth of God's word, the Matthew 18 principle. You know, this is one of the reasons that we have church membership is that every, every one of us needs accountability. Me as your pastor, I need accountability. That's why I meet with Pastor Butch from Maranatha once a month. That's why I serve at the pleasure of the elders of Mission View Church who can fire me at any moment for any given reason. I need accountability that what I share with you is God's word and you need accountability in your life. All of us will deal with sin in our lives and God will continue to work in us and we need brothers and sisters in Christ not just to hold us accountable but to encourage us and, and push us towards righteousness. That's the joy and glory in the relationship of the church, this commitment towards and in one another. That's what church membership is all about. Doing life together. Let's move on, verse six. God says through Paul, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. I hope you underlined that. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. They were boasting of their spiritual maturity they were saying, hey, look at us. We are even so open-minded that we are accepting of this brother who's doing this stuff. We're an amazing, mature church. Can you, can you believe that? That's what they're saying. They're boasting in this sexual immorality. They were not even trying to stop this from happening. And they were boasting about how tolerant they were and open-minded. Paul's painting an amazing picture here. Leaven, the leavened and unleavened bread. So the, the Jews would practice this, this festival and, and they would take all the leaven out of their households. This was a huge ordeal. They would get on their hands and knees and they had special tools to get the leaven out of the entire household. It would take, it would take days. They would hand and knees. There was not a square inch of the home that was not gone over. And they would make sure that all of the leaven was taken out. And they would celebrate this with an unleavened bread. Uh, not the best tasting bread, but unleavened bread nonetheless. Well, my, in my opinion, anyways, unleavened bread. Some people may really like it. But anyways, there was this, a picture that God was, was kind of placing for them. And it was this, this idea that leaven was a picture of sin. 
And that this leaven, as you took it out, you were purifying your life. And, and this unleavened bread was the celebrating of the purification and just this, a really amazing picture. And Paul is reminding them of this picture and of this festival that they were to celebrate. He's saying, get the sin out of your life. Get on your hands and knees. Get that little brush and just get down there. And every little thing, every little speck, you just see it. It's barely there. Every little piece of dust, you just swipe it away and get it out of the house. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. Get into the details of whatever it is. Again, this picture of just radical amputation, getting it out. Don't tolerate it. But then he says one of the most interesting things in this whole text, in my mind anyways, it's just mind-blowing, and I had you underline it because it's that mind-blowing. He says, because you're already unleavened. You're already pure. The sacrifice that Christ has made for us has already happened. You are holy. You are righteous. You are set apart. Mission view. You are holy. You are righteous. You are set apart for our King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's something that Christ did, not anything you've done. You are holy. Why? Why even give yourself a moment or a second to any type of sin? You are already righteous, sinless saints in God's eyes, covered in the blood of Christ. Christ has already made the sacrifice on the cross. He already rose from the dead. You are empowered to live a holy and righteous life. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, but it's what he's saying to you and me today. You are already unleavened. What we find here, what we find in that truth, is the power to say no to sin. It's not, I have, to, I have to fight and battle and I have, to, I have to make this list of all these things that I do and I have to make all this list of things that I don't do. That's, no, all that is secondary. All of those are helpful and good things. The real core thing, the initial thing, the power thing in our fight, in our struggle against sin is that Christ died and rose again and you are already righteous, seated at the right hand of God. Even now, how can we turn to sin when we are living the righteousness of God? Oh my gosh, there should be like 100 amens right there. But it's a hard truth. It's a hard thing for us to fully understand and grasp and put to work into our lives. Because I don't know about you, but when I think about myself, I don't think holy and righteous. I mean, I have days. You know, I get up at 5.30, go for a two-mile jog. I open my Bible and read for an hour. Then I open up that next text or study book and read it for another hour. Then I spend an hour and a half in prayer then I go to work and study for the sermon and work with the staff and do some marital counseling in the afternoon, go home and serve my family. I start to pat myself on the back and then I'm just prideful and sinful, thinking how good I am. But nine days out of 10, my mind will go where it shouldn't. My thoughts will go where it shouldn't. And I'm humbled and reminded of my weakness and my total dependence on God. And Satan starts to tempt me to think that I'm not holy, that I'm not righteous, that I'm not set apart. Have you ever been there? You're thinking to yourself, you're reading this and you're going, what do you mean unleavened? What do you mean holy and righteous and set apart? That's not who I am. Yes, it is. And as soon as you start to believe that that's not who you are, Satan already has you where he wants you. 
It's not this list of do's and don'ts. Those are helpful secondary things. It's the reality that Christ has already accomplished your victory in the cross and his resurrection. There is no struggle. There is no weakness. There is only power and glory and righteousness in Christ. There is no habitual sin because God has beaten it every single one at the cross of Christ. And you, you have freedom. You are not who Satan says you are. You are free. You are free from it all in Christ. You have to believe it. You have to trust it. And you have to live it. That's where the church in Corinth missed it. They forgot who they were. They forgot who God said they were. They forgot the gospel and the truth and the power of Jesus Christ. Christ has died for you so that you can live for him. This is a complete and total paradigm shift. Our minds don't get it. Our minds just have such a struggle comprehending it. I don't have to hold on for dear life. I don't have to do this and that. I don't have to be obedient. Those are all secondary things. I am empowered and have the mind of Christ that has revealed and continues to reveal where sin leads and where righteousness leads. It continues to to show me how short-lived, shallow, and the empty happiness, the short-lived happiness that sin gives. And it continues to remind me of this eternal and longing, amazing grace and love of God and the power of God. God in my life. God reminds me that true lasting joy, happiness, and satisfaction can only be found in the one who saved me and the one who continually changes me. So throw out the old lump, throw out sin, and live in the new man. Now this ties into this this next part. We find it in verses 9 through 13. uh, The next feeling he notes is this, be careful who you call brother. Be careful who you call brother. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Interesting side note here for all you theologians out there. It's believed by a lot of theologians and historians that Paul is actually referring to a third letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. I think it'd be awesome if they actually found that one. But anyways, side note. Verse 10, not all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedier swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or viler drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Big truth bomb there, right? Don't judge me, the whole idea of we're not to judge one another. Uh, Yes, we are. Clearly stated. Not in a salvation sort of way, not that we're the ultimate judge, no. But when we see a brother or sister making wrong decisions, we should look at those decisions, make a judgment call and say, whoa, stop. That is a really bad idea. That is a huge bad idea. We all make judgments all the time, right? And we need to make judgments and be helpful at times. 
So there's that, right? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, there's a difference between a friend and a brother. Have you ever heard the statement, you become like the people you hang out with? Has anybody ever heard that? That's actually biblical. Um, here, here's where we find it. Uh, Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Uh, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two people are better than one because together they have a good reward for their hand work, their hard work. If one fails, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is all alone when he fails. There's no one to help him get up. Proverbs 18, 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, we'll see that in a few weeks. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I think the Bible makes it really clear. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending your time with? Really important. There was another 30 verses I could have quoted. Now, like Paul said, it's not like you're not going to be in the world. The Bible says that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And that we need to actually limit the time that we spend with those who don't know the Lord. There is this evangelistic piece, this this go out to the world and share the good news idea that's the whole great commandment that, that Jesus gave us. That's our marching order. So absolutely, yes, we are going into the world, evangelizing, sharing the gospel. But when we talk about a brother, the scriptures are actually talking about who are we partnered with in ministry. Who are we allowing into those intimate parts of our life, into the closet where all the skeletons are? Who are we being open and honest with? Who are we being vulnerable with? Now, this idea of brother, I think, is really important for us, especially in today's age, where we have Facebook and Instagram, TikTok and the internet and all of these things, you can, you can literally stay at home 24-7 and never make it out. We live in a socially isolated culture. Complete shift. Complete shift. And technology has led us this way. Where, where are we having those relationships where real vulnerability happens? That's that's why at Mission View Church, we have such a high value on community groups. We believe that in community groups, we are living out life together. We are doing life together. That we're going to ask each other hard questions. That we're going to pray together. That we're going to read God's word together and talk about God's word together and let it do a work in our hearts and in our lives. Coming on Sunday mornings and hearing me talk for 45 minutes or 35 minutes, whatever it is, is great. But that's not the end all that we actually go out from this place and we live out what God's word says, we apply God's word to our lives, and we actually are the church that God's called us to be. And I'll just clue you in. 
I can't hold you accountable like your community group leader can. I'm not going to know you as well as your community group leader will know you. That's why we're doing this. And that's why we have these strategies behind it. Because we know that God calls us to this type of relationship, this vulnerability and walking out in life together. And that's the difference between brother and friend. Everybody just look around the room today. All you at home, you can look at your spouse or kids next to you, but these are your brothers and sisters. Okay, super awkward, look around. I know, right? Now you can't really tell who's who because everybody's in masks, but that's okay. These are your brothers and sisters. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. Where do I go next? God is working and is always at work in the hearts of his people. His word tells us that he disciplines those he loves. I remember as a kid getting a spanking and my mom or dad or whoever, they would say, I'm doing this because I love you. And I would think, no, you're doing it because you're mad at me. Because <laughs> I just did something I wasn't supposed to. But as a parent, and as I've had to discipline my own kids, I've said to them, I'm doing this because I love you. And I wasn't mad at all. I just knew that discipline was good for them. And I'd rather I discipline them than the police officers. <laughs> God loves you. And right now, there's some of you, probably all of us, that he's disciplining. Because there's not one person within the sound of my voice that doesn't have something in their life that God's saying, you know what? There's too much of that in your life. I spent a lot of time in prayer this week. A lot of time in repentance. Because my sin's really big. And your sin's really small. As your pastor, I want to say the hard things. Tear it out of your life. God has something better for you. And right now, right now, the Holy Spirit is opening your eyes to something you've never seen. Or maybe he's opening your heart to something you've seen for a while and he's saying, now's the time. Now's the time to deal with it. And he's saying, turn from it, throw it away, don't give it another millisecond of your life because I have something better for you. Brother, sister, God has something better for you. I'm going to invite the band to come on out. I've asked that a couple of our prayer team members would come forward. If you guys could come forward even now. I just want to give us a time as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray. That we, we would be obedient to what God's word says. There is no, there is, we, there's no condemnation in Christ. There is only a sweet conviction that draws us to God's heart and draws us to him. 
Will you be obedient? Will you lay your life at the feet of the cross of Jesus Christ? Surrender to him. Let him work. Let him do the work in these things. You don't have to be attached to this sin anymore. You don't have to be attached to it. There's freedom in Christ. Freedom in him. Now, I know it's COVID and everything else, but I, want, I think we need to pray. And we need to pray with other people. So that's why we've invited the prayer team forward. Everybody's wearing their masks. We can wear our masks together. We can six feet distance and still pray together. But as we sing this last song, if you'd like to pray together, I just invite you forward that we would pray together as a family and that God would do the work that only he can do in our lives, that he would set us free, that he would grow us and change us and do the sanctifying work only he can do. Let's be obedient. Let's go to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we humble ourselves right now. There's no such thing as small sin in your eyes. There's no such thing as respectable sin in your eyes. So break our hearts even now for your glory and for your kingdom, that we would be changed, that we would be holy and set apart. That's what you call us. We are unleavened. God, help us to believe it and help us to live it out for your glory and your kingdom. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's sing the song as we close.